Welcome to the 37 Signals Podcast. My name's Matt Linderman. Today we're going to have a different kind of episode. We're actually going to play Jason Fried's speech that he gave at the Big Omaha Conference a few months back, where he talks about what he's learned at 37 Signals. Um, he covers a lot of ground. Some of the things he discusses are why planning is a waste of time, why it's a good idea to sell your byproduct, how you can emulate chefs by sharing your recipes, and why it's important to focus on things that won't change over time. So why don't we go ahead and listen to that speech. Here it is. Uh, these are things that we've kind of learned at 37 Signals over the past few years, and these are just things that I've noticed recently, things that I think are important. Um, the first thing I want to talk about, well, let's see, I have a few different topics, but I think the first thing I'll hit on is failure, because this is something that's been sort of bothering me lately. I don't know how this happened, but failure became cool. I don't get that. I don't get that at all. Like, if you talk to entrepreneurs, especially in the tech world, there's this saying, people say, like, you should fail early and fail often. I don't get that at all. I don't see where that makes any sense. The fail early stuff, I sort of get. You know, if you're going to make a mistake, you want to get out of the way. But I actually think people aren't patient enough with their ideas. And we shouldn't be so excited to fail early, first of all. But fail often is where I have a really, really big problem. I don't get that advice at all. Fail often? How is that good advice? And why is everybody saying this all the time? Fail often. People think that, for whatever reason, that failure is sort of a character building thing that it's something you have to do, it's a prerequisite. It's something you do first before you succeed, you're gonna make a bunch of mistakes first, then you finally succeed down the road. Um, I don't think you have to do that at all, and I don't think you should expect to do that at all. I know there's some, entre- or some venture capitalists out there who are you know, only interested in investing in people who've made mistakes before, who've failed before, and there's some big VCs that do this. I don't get that either. What is it with failure? Why is it so cool? Why is it something we should all be looking forward to? And the way people think about it is this. They think that the best way to learn is to learn from your mistakes and to learn from your failures. It's something you'll hear a lot, you know, learn from your mistakes or whatever. And there's definitely something to be said for learning from your mistakes. But I think there's just a tiny little, tiny bit of something to be said for that. Most of the things you should learn from are the things you do, you do right, your successes. Because when you learn from your mistakes, all you learn about is what not to do next time. And that doesn't really help you. It's like a process of elimination. You go through a million possible things, and then maybe finally you find the thing that works. That's not really a very helpful process. What you ought to do is focus on the things that are going right for you, that you're doing well, and parlay those. Focus, whatever it is, if you make a mistake, if you fail, whatever happens, there's something that went right. Focus on that. Don't look for the lessons and the things that went wrong and what not to do next time. You always want to be looking for the thing to do next time. So keep an eye on your successes. And I'm not really usually one to talk much about academic studies or lean on, the, on academia for support. Um, but there is one study I want to talk about because I think it's really kind of an interesting study. Uh, Harvard Business School did a thing about um, figuring out which entrepreneurs are more likely to succeed next time, the ones who've been successful in the past, ones who've never started and you know, haven't done anything yet, or people who've failed once. And if this fail early, fail often thing and learn from your mistakes thing was true, then um, their results would have been different. But in fact, what they found was that entrepreneurs who succeeded once and then went on to do another business were more likely to succeed again. Those who failed once were no more likely to succeed than people who had never tried in the first place. So failure is not this great wealth, this well of lessons. It's not a great thing. Don't look for it and don't think you have to do it. Don't think it's character building and don't think it's a prerequisite for success. And if anyone tells you otherwise, just show them what you're doing, do something right, learn from those things, and keep parlaying on this. This is what evolution does. You know, like, evolution's always, fig- always figuring out what works, and it's doing more of that, and making that stronger. That's what you should be doing. That's the natural order of things. It's not about, um, 
finding the failures and focusing on those and trying to learn. So failure is not such a cool thing, and don't get that into it. Um, the next thing I want to talk about is planning. Because planning is something that happens a lot in the business world, especially for entrepreneurs. The first thing they think they have to do is write a business plan, or they have to do a financial projection or financial plans. And I think it's time to really call plans simply what they are, which is guesses. Plans are guesses. They're not plans. You can't predict what's going to happen. You can't worry about all the variables that may or may not happen. Um, but people write plans because it makes them feel comfortable. It makes them feel comfortable with what may or may not happen. And investors often will ask for financial projections. And if you ever look at financial projections, they always go straight up. You know, they never kind of go down. It's always like they'll double in year two, and then year three they'll quadruple, and then year five, you know. That's how those things work, and that's, that's BS. We all know that, right? So what we've done at our company is completely throw away plans. We don't have a plan. I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what we're doing. We do something today, and then the next day we do something else. And we have a, you know, a rough idea of sort of what we're working on, but we don't have a 30-day plan. We don't have a 90-day plan. We don't have a five-year plan, a one, three, five, ten-year plan, whatever. People ask us, where are we going to be in ten years? I don't know, and I don't care, because it doesn't matter. What matters is what you're doing right now, what you're working on today, and tomorrow you're going to have more information. And then you should use that information to do what's important tomorrow. So a big problem with plans is that you're using, you know, you're using the wrong kind of information. right? You know more about something after you're done with it than you do before you've started. Since we can't pull information back after we've done something, because we can't go back in time, the best information you really have is the information you have as you're working on something, not before you've started. But plans are all based on information before you've started. So what we do is we just look at what we're working on today, look for opportunities that exist, and then do that. And tomorrow we do something else, we do something else, we do something else. We figure things out as we go. And that terrifies a lot of people in the business world. They think that everything has to be all set up for you, but it doesn't. So don't worry about not knowing what you're doing. Don't worry about not having the long-term, clear, obvious plan. Just pay attention to what's going on, being aware, be aware of what's going on, and just do that every day and figure things out as you go and don't worry so much about it. Um, the next thing I think I'll riff on is, uh, is this sort of confusion between interruption and collaboration. So um, the modern kind of workspace I think is set up totally wrong. Uh, and our workspace is set up wrong also. Uh, we have a big open loft space. And you know, there's a lot of freedom and a lot of openness. And it's, also, it's always this thing that people think like, if it's big and open and everyone can talk to each other, it's really going to be a creative environment and we're going to collaborate a lot. But what you end up doing is really just interrupting each other all the time. And interruption is not collaboration. In fact, it's the enemy of collaboration. It's the enemy of productivity. Interruption is a terrible thing, because what it does is it breaks your day. So you go to work, you have eight hours, roughly, whatever. And every time there's an interruption, it breaks your day into two pieces and you have another interruption, now you have four pieces, whatever, right? You don't have a work day anymore, you have work moments. You have 20 minutes here, and then someone calls your name from across the office, and you gotta go over there. Then you have an hour, then you have a, a meeting, then you have a conference call, then you have lunch, then you have something else, and someone else calls your name, or someone else says this, you have to be on this conference call, whatever. And before you know it, you have no time to actually work, which is why I'm sure most people here get most of their work done at night, or in the morning, or on the weekends. You don't work at work anymore. Because work is all about, is, has become, unfortunately, about interruption. And so I think we need to pull back. And so what we do is we don't see each other. We stay away from each other at work. Um, we have a, a company of 13 people. Half of us are out of, we're based in Chicago. Half of us are outside of Chicago. Half of us are in Chicago. But even the people who are in Chicago, we don't see each other very often. 
Most of us work from home. Um, the people that work remotely work in different cities. And what we found is that it's like one of the best ways to be productive is to stay the hell away from one another. Okay, so um, what I would like to suggest is if you guys all are in the same office, uh, one thing you can try and just give this a shot and see what happens is every Thursday, no one can talk to each other at all. No talking at all, zero. You can use email, you can use instant messaging, you can use Basecamp, you can use wikis, you can use whatever you use to communicate back and forth, but don't talk to each other. And what you'll find is it'll be the most productive day you've had in months or years. You'll actually get a ton of shit done, a ton of it, because no one's talking to each other. And so what we've done is we've started to rely more on this passive collaboration using software where, or instant messaging or IM or our products or whatever, anyone else's products that you use, because I can put that stuff aside. If I don't want to deal with it right now, I can hide it and get my work done. But I can't hide someone, you know, I can't hide from someone in an office if they're going to call my name or tap my shoulder. You can wear headphones and whatever, but it's still very distracting. So figure out whatever it is that you're doing in whatever environment you have. Try and reduce your interruptions, and I think you're going to find that you're actually going to end up working less and working better and being a whole lot more productive. Um, so that's an extreme case. Don't talk to each other on Thursdays. Maybe you can try for three hours. Maybe just after lunch one day a week, something like that. But give it a try. See what happens, and I think you'll be pretty surprised. Um, okay, so the next thing I'm going to talk about is something that I'm really kind of into right now. Um, so I'm in the tech business, software business, whatever. Software, design, internet, tech, all these, all these industries. We all think we're kind of hot shit. We think we know what we're doing. We think we're really smart and innovative. And in some cases, we are. We are sort of innovative. We, have, we do some pretty cool stuff. I'm talking as a whole, not me, just as the industry. Um, but there's a whole lot we can learn from a lot of old school industries, like the lumber business and the oil business and agriculture. So um, when they started cutting down trees, they cut them down for lumber to build houses and for fuel, but mostly for building houses. And as they cut these boards down, they ended up with a lot of sawdust. And initially, sawdust was a huge nuisance. They couldn't figure out how to get rid of it or what to do about it. But eventually, they figured out that they could sell it, that sawdust could be used for other things. It was waste, but it could be used for other things. It could be turned into fuel. It can be compressed into like uh, artificial fire logs. It can be added to cement to increase the tensile strength of cement, ice as well and for ice bridges. Uh, animal bedding, there's a whole bunch of things you can do with uh, it. can be pressed again into boards um, for building and construction. So they figured out that sawdust, which was a waste and a nuisance, was actually a product as well. The oil business, they started drilling for oil for fuel. But now, today, oil is in almost everything. If anyone here is wearing any synthetic fiber, there's oil in it. There's oil in our computers. If you're wearing glasses with a plastic frame, there's oil in that. There's oil in makeup. There's oil in candy. There's oil everywhere. These are oil byproducts, petroleum byproducts that have been distilled and figured out, and now they can sell that stuff too. Originally, they were just drilling for fuel, but they figured out there's more, to, there's more in oil than just the fuel. Uh, the agricultural business, corn, soybeans, these things were originally just staples, grains, essentially food. They weren't, well, I, yeah, corn's grass, you guys probably know that. I don't know that, but now I know it. Um, so, so uh, uh, you know, they basically did it just for, for food, for, for that kind of energy. But they figured out that there's a ton of things you can do with corn and soybeans. There's oils. There's, you can make plastics out of this stuff. You can make fuel out of this stuff now. So these, these industries have figured out that whenever you make something, you always make something else. You can't just make one thing. And if you're aware of what you're doing and paying close attention to what you're doing, you can figure out that you are making byproducts too. Even though you're not making a physical product, I don't make physical products. I make software. 
I'm still making a byproduct. There's still something else that I'm making. For us, uh, our first major byproduct was Ruby on Rails. So we built a product called Basecamp. And from Basecamp, we extracted this thing called Ruby on Rails, which was a framework that let us make the app and let us make other apps quickly and, and, and easily. And um, it was something we were making without even knowing it. We'd made it, but we didn't even know it. Just like when people were cutting boards and they had sawdust, they had a product there. They didn't even know it. They didn't know sawdust was valuable. We didn't think about building Rails. We just, it just happened. Um, but besides the software thing, the one thing I really want to focus on right now is focusing on knowledge as a byproduct, experience as a byproduct. Um, whenever you, anyone here is building a business or building a product or whatever, you're learning something. You're learning something. And the problem is, is that most businesses are paranoid. They're terrified of sharing their business processes. They're terrified of sharing what they've learned, what they know, because they think their competitors are going to use that information against them. And I'm going to talk about an example in a few minutes that kind of puts that to shame. But the thing that I wanted to focus on here is just an example of what we did. We were building our company, building a product, and we figured out that we were learning things about marketing, we were learning things about branding, we were learning things about product names, we were learning things about programming and design, hiring, all these things that we learned. This is a byproduct of simply doing the work. We learned all these things. And we decided to turn this stuff into a book. And we put a book out called Getting Real, which is simply a byproduct of us doing business. Okay? And that book has made us close to half a million dollars selling that book. And the content around that book, we've done conferences, we've done a few other things, have made us probably another half a million dollars. Probably made a million bucks off simply our experience, our knowledge, simply from doing what we do every day. So everybody out here, whoever's doing anything, everyone's hopefully doing something, um, you're, you're making something else. You just have to pay attention to what that is. It might be another software product, it might be knowledge, it might be experience, it might be you know, wisdom, it might be a variety of different things, but you're doing something else. For example, general contractors who build houses. Right now, it's kind of a, a shitty time to be a general contractor. People aren't building houses. But what these people should be doing is selling their knowledge also. They should be, doing, they should be holding workshops for homeowners who want to learn how to fi you know, fix basic things in their house, little fix-it projects. You know, they could probably charge 100 bucks for a three-hour class on how to fix shit around your house. Right? They should be doing this stuff. This is their knowledge, and they can sell this stuff. They don't need to be afraid that if they teach someone something, they're never going to call them back. In fact, they're probably going to call them back more because when they get the little fix-it thing and they figure that out and they want to do something bigger, they're going to trust you more and they're going to call you to do a bigger project. So think about your knowledge. Think about all this extra stuff that you do and you make every day without even knowing it and figure out how you can sell that. I think the best example of this um, are chefs. To me, chefs are sort of the unheralded business gurus, wisdom, like full of wisdom, full of great experience. And we should all be paying attention to how famous chefs promote themselves. So people like Emeril Lagasse, Mario Batali, Bobby Flay, these people you see on the Food Network, um, they are great chefs, but there's a lot of great chefs. A lot of great chefs. What makes them unique is that they share. They, sh they have a damn show on TV showing you exactly how to do what they do. Businesses don't do this, but they should. This is what our book was, for example. This is exactly what we do. You know, you should think about what could you do if you were a cook, you know, what would your cooking show be? So whatever business you're in, what's your cooking show? What can you share? What can you teach? You know, these guys put out cookbooks with recipes in them, which is like their secrets. This is how I make the food that I make. These are the ingredients. This is exactly how I do it. And in fact, there's a camera on me in my kitchen so you can watch me. Exact, you know, watch exactly what I do. Here's all the tips, all the inside information. They want to share it all. They're not afraid of somebody buying their cookbook and opening a restaurant next to them and putting them out of business. Okay, that doesn't happen. They know that the best thing they could do is share their knowledge. 
because it makes people go to their restaurants, it makes people buy their stuff because they sell it, it makes people trust them more, it makes people buy their cookware in the stores. So you want to figure out what's your cookbook, what can you share, what can you teach people about what you do, and it's going to be a great way to market. And especially great thing about it is that it helps you build an audience. And this is kind of the secret to all this stuff. I think this is like the secret of what's going on today for great companies. Every company has customers. Some companies have fans, right? The lucky ones do. But the really fortunate customer or companies have audiences. And that's what you can do today. You can build an audience. And here's the difference. If you want to reach people in the past, if you want to reach people, or even today, if you don't have an audience, you have to spend a lot of money. You have to spend a lot of money to get in front of your customers. You have to constantly be hitting them up with messages. Because you have to go to them. But if you share, if you're writing stuff in your blog every day, if you're sharing information, if you have a book, whatever it is that you're doing, if you're sharing stuff, people come back to you every day. They come back to you. They have an audience. And now you can sell these people things. These are, this is a captive audience who's interested in what you have to say. You don't have to spend any money to reach them. They're coming to you. You don't have to buy billboards. You don't have to buy ads. You don't have to buy radio spots. They're coming to you every day, to your site, whatever it is. We have 90,000 people a day who read our blog, at least because that's our RSS numbers, probably 120,000 or something like that. It doesn't cost me a penny to reach those people, right? 120,000 people a day coming to me, coming to our company to, tell, to listen to what we have to say. That's the power of an audience. And if you keep that up, if you keep teaching, keep sharing, um, you'll find that it's really easy to launch a new product. It's really easy to do new things. You have a captive audience who's right there willing and listening to what you have to do, what you have to say. So figure out ways you can share and get the word out to build an audience. Let me touch on a couple more things, and I want to do some Q&A. Um, all right, two more things. The best business advice I ever got, I got a couple years ago, and it's a simple statement. It's focus on the things that don't change. The tech business especially, software business, design business, is obsessed with change. Everything's changing all the time. Everyone's chasing this fad or that fad or doing this or doing that because everyone else is doing it. You feel like you got to do it. Um, you got to focus on the things that don't change. What are the core important things in your business that are going to be the same today and 10 years from now? For example, if you're Amazon, Amazon invests a ton in distribution because people aren't going to wake up 10 years from now and go, I wish it took longer for me to get a product from Amazon. Right? They're not going to say, I wish the selection was worse at Amazon. They're not going to say, I wish things were more expensive at Amazon. Right? So Amazon's investing almost everything they have into that stuff, distribution, shipping, customer service, price, all that stuff. That's going to be hot today and it's going to be hot 10 years from now. They're doing some other stuff too, but they're really focused on that. In our business, we're building software. So for us, software is all about, it's got to be fast, it's got to be easy, it's got to be usable. People aren't going to wake up 10 years from now and go, man, I wish 37 Signals products were slower and harder to use. Right? They're going to say, I wish it was easier and faster and that sort of thing. So we're spending a lot of time on that stuff. And it's not sexy stuff. It's not really like the really fun, glitzy stuff that everyone's talking about. But it's the core stuff that really matters. And if you go, like for example, you go to a hotel and uh, there's, you know, Furniture's beautiful, the, the, it's got a flat panel on the wall, all that shit's great, right? Really cool lobby. But if the bed's uncomfortable, the room sucks. The hotel sucks. If the core thing doesn't work, it sucks. People aren't going to want uncomfortable beds in 10 years. They're going to want comfortable beds. And you'll see that a lot of hotels now are spending a lot of money on beds and pillows, and it's for this reason. They're focusing on the basics. They're focusing on things that always will matter. So keep your eye out for those things in your business that aren't going to change and invest in those things. Don't always be chasing the next fad, next this, next that. Last thing I want to talk about for Q&A um, is the idea that inspiration is perishable. So we all have ideas. And once you have the idea, the idea is sort of immortal. It lives on forever. It goes on forever. The idea exists. 
even if it's just in your head or you write it down, it's, it's happened. But what isn't going to last forever is your inspiration for that idea. Inspirations are like fresh fruit, like milk. They have an expiration date. They don't last very long. If you're into something, if you want to do something, you've got to do it now. You cannot say, I'm going to do it later, because you're not going to be pumped up about it. You're simply not going to be pumped up about it. If you happen to be lucky enough and fortunate enough to be inspired to do something, you've got to do it right now, because every day you go, it gets browner and browner and deader and starts to rot and goes away. Inspiration is perishable. You cannot hang on to it. So if you find something you want to do, you've just got to go out and do it. You've got to go out and do it and get behind it right now. And the best time to ever do something, like the most energy you're ever going to have is the first time you get started on something. So you've got to really get into it early on. It's like a sound wave. You, know, you hit the guitar, and the sound wave goes like this. And then after a while, it just kind of peters out. That's inspiration. That's what happens. You can't sustain it. It has to go. You have to get pumped up about it. You've got to do it, and you've got to stop. Um, you can't hold on to it. You can't put it on the shelf and wait two months and get, get around to it. So um, that's something I definitely wanted to end with. I think it's a really important point. It hopefully uh, inspires people to actually get out and do some stuff. And that was Jason at the Big Omaha Conference of 2009. Uh, that conference is an annual one. You can find out more at bigomaha.com. And you can also find out more about this episode at 37signals.com slash podcast. We post a summary of each episode there along with related links. Thanks for listening.